0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we return to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove family has been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. What are you passing along to the next generation? What is it that, that the next generation sees from you and in you and says, "Ah, I'm going to follow that. That's, that's what I want. That's what I want to see in my life. I recognize that today is Father's Day, and I, I do want to take a moment to reflect on what we as fathers are passing along to our children. But I think that this question is one that's important for all of us. What is it that we are passing on to the next generation? What is it by the way we live and by the way we act and by the way we think that they see that they say we should emulate that and we should follow along? One thing that I know that my father and my grandfather have passed along to me, and, and I believe we're still figuring it out, but I believe that we, I have passed it along to my son, is a love and enjoyment for the game of baseball, my grandfather is one that uh, loves the Colorado Rockies. And, and there by his uh, chair in the room with the television where he can watch every game, he's got the schedule, the entire season schedule printed out. And every day he religiously will watch or follow the game as best as he can. And he's got the score written down for every game. So that as the season goes along, he knows how his beloved Colorado Rockies are doing. Uh, when we see them in just a little over a week, week or so, I am sure that there will be some conversation about that, and I will be utterly disappointed if that schedule is not there. It will be, for sure. My dad as well, though that desire for baseball has been transferred on to my dad. My father lives in uh, Monrovia, Liberia, West Africa. So they're some plus five hours in time zone uh, away from us on, uh, on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. But my dad has a similar love for the Colorado Rockies and for baseball as a whole as well. So much so that my dad subscribed to MLB TV, not just for me, but so that he, in the middle of the night, for them, what would be 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, can stay up late and watch his beloved Colorado Rockies. Rockies and follow along with the games. I don't know if dad prints out the schedule and writes the score like his dad does, but I know he's watching the game. He probably falls asleep in about the second inning, I would think. But nonetheless, my dad's love of the game is there as well. And and yes, it has been transferred to me, although I may be a little bit of the uh, outsider and the black sheep in the family because I'm not so much a fan of the Colorado Rockies, but the San Francisco Giants, one of their rivals, and I love to cheer for them and watch them. And like them too, I will at times stay up late at night, uh, iPad in hand, watching the San Francisco Giants some three hours behind us start their games out and cheer for them along the way as well. I think Ethan is enjoying and loving baseball just as much uh, in that regard. And so it's a trait that's been passed on to him. And uh, just a few years ago, we were able to take my grandfather on his 80th birthday with my dad and myself and my son, four generations of us, to go see the Colorado Rockies together and to enjoy a great day of baseball as well. It's something that's being passed along in our family. But baseball is one thing. I guess my question isn't so much about the physical things, the things that we would enjoy. My question is more about what are we passing along spiritually? What are we transferring to the next generation spiritually that they would take hold of, that they would see affirmed in our lives, and that they would emulate themselves as well? We're in this series called Family, Why Bother? And we've been looking at the issues and the dysfunction of the first families in the Bible so that we can see where God's grace and power help us break these generational cycles of sin. Today, we're not going to look at a bad story. We're not going to see a bad or something dysfunctional within the family that that we need to to do away with or to to repent of. We're going to see a positive story here in Genesis chapter 24. It's, It's... one of the best stories in the entire book. And the story has a powerful reality, a powerful truth that that lies at the bedrock of it. It, the, The reality that undergirds this entire story is this, that God is providentially working in everyday life. You see, Abraham and his servant, Uh, interact with his extended family in a way that they are kind of the main characters in the story, but God's providential working is there underneath it all, guiding and directing in every step and every moment so that we can only conclude that he is at work. It's not the reality that some think that God made the universe, he made everything, and then he took 10 steps back and said, boom, you guys have it, enjoy it, figure it out, I'll see you in about three or four millennia, and uh, then we'll talk about what's going on there. And somehow God distanced himself and became detached from his creation. No, instead, the scriptures point and show us to a God who is actively at work. His hands are on the will, 10 and 2, if you will, ready to guide and direct and to carry out all things for the purpose of his glory and for our ultimate good. And it's in that reality we find the story of Abraham passing along the faith. That's the trait that becomes known of Abraham and his household and his family. This pattern of faith, trusting the Lord in his providence, trusting God in his work in everyday life in his family. And so just as we're going to see Abraham passing along the faith in his family, it's worth asking the question, are we passing along the faith? Is what we're transferring to the next generation, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in the God who works in everyday life. Is that what they are seeing from us? Are they seeing faith in our lives? And you may say, well, how do, we, how do we pass that along? What does that look like? How do we show that? And this story, I believe, will help us see and help, us, help show us how we can pass along the faith in the Lord who is providentially working in everyday life. I want to show us three things. I've got to move rather quickly here. There's some 67 verses in this chapter, so I would encourage you at some point, uh, perhaps later today, to take it and read it. It's a lovely and amazing story, but I'm just going to do like a 50,000-foot view on this passage and kind of hit some of the key verses here to help us see how we can live by faith and pass along that faith in a God who is providentially at work in everyday life. Well, let's start with this. If we're going to pass along the faith, if that's something that we want others to see, if we want to hand it over to the next generation, that means first and foremost that we ourselves must be people who trust the promises of God. It starts here with us in our lives, trusting what God has said, trusting His promises, trusting His goodness. So we jump right into this story and we find here now, not at the midpoint or even early on in Abraham's life, but at the very end, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. This this chapter kind of serves as the last story of Abraham's life. The baton is handed from him to Isaac. And, And how does Abraham deal with it? How does it go? Last Sunday, we started the very beginning of Abraham's life and his failure in faith. God promised Abraham a land. He promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. He promised Abraham children. He promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to many nations. And Abraham's start initially isn't really great. He kind of trusts God. He gets down to the land and God shows Abraham the land and says, this is it. And Abraham worships God. And he says, yes. But immediately he heads into Egypt and begins to doubt God's word and places his whole family and all of the promises of God at great risk. There's this ebb and flow, this kind of roller coaster uh, reality to Abraham's life. We may think of him as a hero of the faith, and that's what he becomes toward the end of the story. But his life was riddled with starts and stops, movement forward, back steps, all of this because he was struggling as we were with trusting God. But yet he comes to the end of his life, he comes to the end of the story, and because of God's grace, because of the work that God has done in his life to help him Believe and trust in him. We find in now a man at the end who is fully resolved and confident in the Lord. His faith is settled. And so he, at the end of his life, with his son Isaac, he realizes there's a tension still at play. Isaac, the son of promise, has been born to he and to Abraham and Sarah. Sarah has died. We read that in chapter 23. But the issue is there's not the next generation. There's no grandchildren, no next generation, only a small land, and so Isaac needs to get married. Isaac needs a bride, and they need to have children so that the promise continues to perpetuate and move on. So Abraham, in seeking to to resolve this and deal with this, he calls to his senior ranking servant. His highest official servant, and he makes him swear an oath. We find this in verses three and four of chapter 24. He says to the servant, "Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac." Adam, or Abraham, I'm sorry, is adamant that his servant not only find a wife for Isaac. But that he find a wife for Isaac from his homeland, from his home people? Now, here's why Abraham did this. We might look and go, well, that's kind of odd. Why can't he just marry someone nearby? Abraham did this because he trusted God's promises. God had promised to give the land to Abraham and to his family and to his bloodline. To marry Isaac to a Canaanite woman would be a lack of faith. It would would be rejecting the promises of God. And, And Abraham had walked in that path already. So he chooses here to believe and trust in God's covenant promises. God had given this land to them. He would displace the Canaanites. So he tells his servant to go back to the old country, back to his family, and to there find and take a wife for Isaac. Abraham is so confident in God and so trusting in the Lord, he is so aware that God is at work in every detail of his life, that he tells his servant this in verse 7. He says to his servant, "'The Lord, the God of heaven,' who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son there. Notice where his faith is anchored. His faith is deeply rooted in God. He, he addresses God as the Lord, the sovereign one over all things, the God of heaven the one who is in control, who rules and reigns over every place, every people, every situation, every atom, every molecule, this God, this God who called me from my father's house, sent me from the land of my kindred, this God who spoke to me and he swore to me, he promised to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He is going to provide. He will send his angel before you. He's already at where Abraham's faith is there in God already. He's already at work. God is already at work, and he will provide. He shall ta- and you shall take a wife for my son there. I mean, those are the confidence of Abraham. It's not like, well, if you get up there and maybe you'll find somebody, I don't know, it's kind of 50-50. We'll see how it goes. He is adamantly confident God will provide. God spoke to him promised to me, swore to me, God staked his entire credibility and his reputation on this covenant. The point is, God keeps his promises. God fulfills his word. And Abraham has seen that, and he believes it. He banks his life on it. And so he prepares and says his servant to his old homeland to find a wife for his son. I think it's easy for us to think of promises these days as just conjectures, maybe just aspirations. I mean, people break promises all the time. Our politicians make promises, they say things to get elected, and then they often fail to, or they often actually deliver on those things. Families and, and households are rocked by broken and unkept promises that happen every day. Uh, Promises are just, it seems like, just kind of throwaway lines to get somebody to to lean over to our side of things in the moment while we want them. We may be tempted to think of God's promises in that way. God's just saying things to get us to approve Him. But but God's promises are brought about by God's providence. God's active work to bring about all that He has purposed and willed for His glory and our ultimate good, they come about from His promises, he speaks, and it is so. So friends, we can, we can rest in his promises. We can trust in what he has declared he will do. We never, ever, ever need to doubt God's promises. He always keeps them. The, the success rate of God to keeping his word is 100%. His character, his very nature as God requires it. We can trust his promises. We can live by faith in his providential working in everyday life. And it encourages us to trust him all the more. Abraham's life of moving from doubt to faith in the promises of God is that upward trajectory. And it's it's an encouragement to us. So friends, are you living in faith? Are you trusting God's word? Are you trusting his promises? The scripture says in Galatians 3, for if you're in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. And as many of you have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We get to live in the family trait. What, is, what Abraham is handing down to his family is faith in God. Trust him. Believe him. Because Abraham trusted the promises of God and took him at his word, the true son of promise, not Isaac, but Jesus, came through the lineage of their family. It is in Christ that the promises that God made to Abraham in in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and fulfilled. Those promises are carried out. Friends, we can trust God's promise and his word, every word of it. You can believe the promise that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today's a great day for faith. Fathers, you can pick up faith today, trusting God and His Word. Like our first father in the faith, Abraham, we can model and follow him in believing God's Word and see that handed over to the next generation. So, Believing and walking and handing over the faith starts with us trusting the promises of God. But second, it requires us to to seek the provision of God. Abraham doesn't just say, listen, hey, I trust God will provide, and then he goes and he gets in his, his lazy boy recliner and kicks it up and just has nothing to do with the rest of the tale. He doesn't live in a let, let go and let God kind of passive state. He says, I need, to, I need to take steps of action forward. The idea that faith without any action, that they are diametrically opposed or that, that faith without action is how we should live is, is wrong. It's a myth. James in the scripture says, faith without works is dead. It's not living. And so why we say we trust God, that also means we need to walk, we need to obey, we need to pursue him, seek his provision through faith. We work through faith. Abraham believes God, and so he goes to work. What does he do? He sends his servant back to their homeland with the task of finding a wife for Isaac. He equips the servant, he develops him, he gives him the ambition and the parameters for the mission, and then he says, go. I want you to go and find Find a woman, find a wife for my son Isaac. Not only is Abraham giving him a mission, Abraham is transferring on this faith. Abraham has developed a family of faith. They all act and believe along with him. So the servant here in this part is trusting God just as much as Abraham was. He's, He's seeking God just as much as Abraham does. The servant goes, look with me at verse 10. He says, "'Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels "'and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts "'from his master. "'And he arose and went to Mesopotamia "'to the city of Nahor. "'And he made the camels kneel down outside the city "'by the well of water at the time of evening, "'the time when women go out to draw water. "'And he said, "'O Lord, God of my master Abraham, "'please grant me success today "'and show steadfast love to my master Abraham.' Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and let the daughters of the men of the city that are coming out to draw water, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let your jar down that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. A servant goes and, and he begins to display and seek the provision of God by, first of all, praying. He doesn't just go and say, hey, I'm going to carve out a master strategy. I've got a 30-year plan to make this work. He, he gets to the, to the city, he gets outside of the well, and he stops, and he says, Lord, unless you send, unless you provide, I'm not going to know. So my faith is confidently placed in you, and, and I want you to be at work. And he says, give success to me today. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Show steadfast love to him. And what the servant does is he prays, and then he acts. He shows up at the well. He has a question that he's going to ask the women that show up there. And he's asking God to make clear. He's asking the Lord to help him discern. The question isn't a a test for God. It's it's an evaluation of character of the women that will show up. He's a stranger. Nobody knows him. He's got a lot of wealth by these camels that are here. But how do you interact with a stranger? especially if you're a woman in that culture. You don't talk to strangers at that time. And so he has a question for them, will you give me something to drink? And he's hopeful that a woman will come along who will say, yes, I will give you something to drink, to show her her hospitality, the same kind of hospitality that exists in the family of Abraham as they cared for strangers. And then he's he's looking for and he's seeking to discern someone who will say, not only will I give you something to drink, but I will give your 10 camels here something to drink as well. A sign of sacrifice and generosity, of caring ultimately for the needs and betterment of another. Just as Abraham's family lives out. So he's looking for this woman, this wife, this potential wife of his son, Isaac, to be that for them. So he asks and he starts asking this question around, I love how the text shows how God just providentially is working this together. As soon as he, verse 15, before he had finished speaking, Rebekah, this woman, she was born uh, born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor. Abraham's brother came out with her water jar on the shoulder. God is sending the right person at the right time from the right family to answer Abraham's faith, to answer the servant's faith. And she shows up, and so the servant asks the question, and she says, well, sure, here's something to drink. And he's stunned. And, and, and then she says, well, let me, let me give something for your camels to drink as well. And so she, verse 20, quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. This is an amazing act of service and sacrifice. And the servant discerns it. He sees it and he approves. Yes, this is the Lord's provision. And so he worships God. He bows down. Verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. I love this because God has been working all along. His providence is right there underneath it all. Rebecca comes, the servant comes, he asks the question, she's ready. God provides. Are we seeking his provision in faith? I could tell you stories of missionaries all over the world. I could tell you stories of people here within our church that have seen God's provision through his providence time in and time out. He cares for us. There Tons of intricate details that the Lord weaves together that we may only recognize one or two, but there's a million of them behind the tapestry. So I would ask, what does it look like to seek the provision of God by faith in your life every day, in your family, in your marriage, in your everyday life, in your relationship with your neighbors or your coworkers? It starts with this. Active faith, seeking the provision of God, starts with prayer. Just for us to say, God... We need, even to say, God, I can't. Instead of trying to produce provision for himself, the servant prays for provision from the Lord who is already at work. You you and I, we can go to the very throne of grace, the Lord God, because of Jesus Christ who has gone before us, who's one like us in every way, yet without sin. And the scripture says we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. We can approach the throne of grace and say, I can't. I can't do this on my own, Lord. I need you. I don't have the supply, the strength, the skill. Lord, provide. We can say, Lord, I can't, I I don't, or I, I don't have, I need your provision to be the father I need to be. Lord, I need your provision to engage and to lead my children spiritually. Lord, I need my provision to love my wife and to serve her. We can go to God with our weakness and our need and seek his provision. That is living by faith and trusting him. If we're going to pass on the faith, we need to trust the promises of God. We need to live prayerfully, seeking the provision of God, trusting Him. And thirdly, then, we need to obey the plan of God. Here the story shifts from Abraham and his servant to the response of Rebekah. The servant sees and discerns that she is the one, as it were. He puts a gold ring on her finger. He gives her bracelets. He's excited. He says, is, can I stay with your family's house, with your father's house and spend the night? She reveals, yes, I am related to you. I'm of this household. I'm daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who she born to Nahor. Come, stay with us. And he worships and he stays, and as he gets there, the family is asking, who is this stranger with all these camels? What's going on? Her brother Laban comes out in verse 51, and he asks some questions. He says, Behold, uh, he, he wants to know what is going on. And so they say, listen, he's come, and he's looking, the servant's come, and he's looking for a wife for his master's son, Isaac. And he wants me. And the family hears it, they affirm it, and they say, Yes. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord spoken. Now that's all exciting. If if someone were to show up today and say, "Hey, listen, I've been sent, and I'm looking for a wife, and I believe your daughter Allison, she's the one for my son. And so, can I can I take her and go and marry? Would you marry her off? I I'd have some questions, but but you know if. Since the Lord was in it, yeah, I'd probably be open to that. But, but if the guy said to me, hey, listen, I'd like to, I'd like to leave tomorrow, like, can, can we pack a suitcase and we get out of here tomorrow? I'd be like, whoa, bro, slow your roll, okay? Like, like I, I got to get to know you a little bit better. I don't know if this is really a good, smart, safe idea. Like, I'm not sure. The servant's ready to go. He's seen God's provision, he knows the Lord is in this, he is acting immediately in obedience to the Lord but they want her to stick around for 10 days, probably to get her ready, maybe to throw a few goodbye parties. I I, I get the tension of this here. But with that tension, there's a threat. They profess their faith. They vocalize they believe God. But that delay may turn into doubt. It may turn into further delay. It may turn into distrust. Ultimately, it may turn into disobedience. The servant's faith is asking for immediate obedience to the Lord. He says, don't delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me a way that I may go to my master. So the family thinks about it and they says, you know what? It's not our call. Rebecca has to make the decision. Verse 58, they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And I love her simplicity of faith and heart. She says, yes, I will go. This young woman was trusting the Lord. She was ready to obey just as the servant was ready to obey. Her simple trusting faith in the Lord's word. This wasn't just some random idea out there. She was confident that God had spoken and this is what he had said, and she was going to walk in his ways. It's a deep level of faith. Here's my point in this. She obeys and goes, and we have a beautiful story of Isaac and Rebecca being married. And we think just so, like this is this is way better than e-harmony. <laughs> what an amazing story of God's providence to match this two these two people together. Faith is passed on from one generation to the next. The baton is handed from Abraham to Isaac and on. And it gives us a picture of what would happen if we were to be people of faith and to have families of faith in the Lord's providence. If God's at work, we need to be people of obedience to the Lord's word. Most kingdom movement these days doesn't happen because of big obedience, a huge projects, so huge things. Most kingdom movement comes about through small, intentional, simple acts of obedience to God's word. If you want to leave a legacy of faith, it requires the simple daily steps, or as Eugene Peterson puts it, along obedience in the same direction. So, it says, so it's saying yes to spending time with Jesus every day. It's saying yes to love and generosity towards outsiders and strangers. It's saying yes to joy instead of complaining and murmuring. It's saying yes to peace instead of conflict and division. It's saying yes to patience when people frustrate or disappoint or annoy you. It's saying yes to kindness towards those who are hurt and those who are hurting, to those who hurt you or maybe different among us. It's saying yes to goodness by being a source of blessing and encouragement in the world. Saying yes to faithfulness by acting with integrity and honor in all that we say and do. It's saying yes to gentleness instead of the rage of the age and anger and bullying. Saying yes to self-control when you'd rather serve yourself and satisfy your every desire. That's what makes a movement, trusting and obeying God's word. That's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, right? Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So let me ask, where do you need to respond to the will of God in obedience by saying, I will? We're all about following and developing our own plans. We've got our life strategies laid out. But what about God's plan as he's revealed it in his word? Can we follow Jesus who prayed hours before his crucifixion? Not my will, but yours be done. Are we obeying the plan The Word of God. So, again, let me ask this as we close What are you passing along to the next generation? Whether you're a father or not, we're all passing something along. They're picking up the traits that we are handing over to them. But do they see an active trust in the providence and goodness of God? Do they see us depending on, believing in, obeying, following the Lord God in our lives? Or does the next generation see a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God's nature, a lack of trust in His goodness, a lack of trust in His sovereign plans even to send His own Son to the cross on our behalf? Do they see us building a world with ourselves at the center instead of trusting God and His good grace? Our faith in God's greatness, in who He is, in His providence, it will define our families. For generations to come. So let's be a people that, whoever it is, whatever the next generation it is, whether it's the children that are in your home, whether it's the younger men and women that you work with or are near or around, or that you sit next to here at church, whoever it is in your life, let's be people that hand along faith in the Lord Jesus and His providence in all things to His glory.